etwas lasse ich da. Denke, weil ich erwachsen. Hello and welcome back to Slushy Stop. I am Nathan Elder, joined once again by Alex and Jake to talk about Star Wars Return of the Jedi. Uh, I say welcome back because I'm assuming you've been keeping up with our series so far. If not, I strongly recommend you go back, start at the beginning, because what we're doing is we're just three guys having conversations about each Star Wars movie leading up to a grand finale where we go head-to-head playing Star Wars Trivial Pursuit to see who is the Grand Master of Star Wars knowledge. So let's go ahead and jump right on in, um, and let's get going on Return of the Jedi. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, no one's going to take that <laughs> and run with it, so... Let's move on. <laughs> it there's no need to run with it. Like it is so magnificent on its best, own. The best scene of the of the saga. Best edition George Lucas ever made. Best scene in that movie. Yeah, see that's that's not where I want to start. Um <laughs> Let's start I wanna start with uh you know, we we've talked about this movie a little bit before we even started recording, and I think it's become clear that Jake I think he's even gone on record to say that this is his favorite out of the original trilogy, uh, or at least it's up there. Yeah. Uh, Alex has said that it's probably his least favorite of the original trilogy, or it is, in fact. There is no maybe. It is. <laughs> it is, in fact. Right. Not. It's not. It's not alleged. It's, yes. It is. It is a hard fact that it is his least favorite of the original, and then I'm just somewhere in the middle. So. This may very well just be an argument between Alex and Jake with a little input for me. I don't know. Let, let's find out. So I guess let's start with Jake with what are the shiny, bright spots of Return of the Jedi? Well, uh, for me, like I, I've mentioned to you before, I think this movie is paced very well. Um, you know, I went back and rewatched it earlier this week as well in preparation for this and i just i noticed that you know you're you're on tatooine for a while and then you know luke goes to dagobah and then you know they end up on endor and then the death star but you know while you spend a lot of time on these planets in these different respective places whatever um at least to me it feels like it goes by very quickly and i think that's part of why i like it so much it's there's not there aren't very many slow moments, but I mean, even when there are, you know, arguably the the Yoda death scene, you know, the whole Dagobah part's kind of a slow part of the movie, but you've got that big reveal of Luke and Leia being twins and all of that. So, yeah, for me, it's it's the it's the pacing, and I would argue that the Luke Vader fight at the end of Return of the Jedi is actually better than the one in Empire. Um, I think Mark Hamill just his acting during that that scene is just incredible uh, i think it's probably the best work he did throughout the trilogy the thing for me i think part of why i'm in the middle is because yes it does have some pretty high points for the original series um which is hard for me to dislike it too much however i do recognize the flaws and so with that point alex your thoughts let me start by saying i agree with jake that 
And I'll actually go a step further and say that the Vader-Luke lightsaber fight is probably my favorite lightsaber duel of the whole kit and caboodle. Like, all of them. Anakin, Obi-Wan, Darth Maul, Yoda, Dooku. Uh, To me, the Luke-Vader lightsaber duel is my favorite. I think it's the most emotionally packed duel of the whole series. Mm -hmm. So, there are certainly parts about Return that I love. Oh boy, the Ewoks, though. (laughs) I was watching it. I knew it was coming. I watched it last night to get refreshed. And as I was watching it, I started to think, maybe Jake's right. As I was watching the movie, I was like, this is really not as bad as I remember. And then they got to Endor. And then they met Wicket. And I was like, oh, yeah, actually. Like, this is the part. This is, and, and no kidding. No kidding. At that point in the movie, I was just like, I just, I hate this so much. Everything about it, everything about the Ewoks to me is egregious, and I hate them. And I think the acting from uh, Luke, Leia, and Han falls off a little bit. I agree with Jake about, I think Mark Hamill delivers a great performance. Um, I have a real problem with Han Solo in Return of the Jedi and, and Leia. Like, Leia turns into, she goes from like this spunky... Like, I'll fight you anywhere, anytime, uh, you know, plucky rebel in A New Hope and Empire to, like, a soppy person who needs to be held in Return of the Jedi. And I absolutely hate the changing of her character. And I love the Emperor. Watching it again last night, let me tell you, I love the Emperor in this movie. Um, I love him. But there are just some things about the movie overall that like that I don't like indoor. I wish it had remained Kashyyyk. I think that would have been a much more interesting story and a much more interesting uh, plot point. But anyway, I don't want to honk all the time. But th- those are the beefs that I have with it. I thought, and I think the whole Jabba thing takes way too much time. To your point about Kashyyyk and indoor, I do agree. If that had been. If, if those had been Wookiees instead, I think that would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. That said, I think if he would, had gone with Wookiees in Return of the Jedi, I don't know that it would have turned out as well as it did in Revenge of the Sith because I, I just don't know that it would be as believable because Wookiees are... You know, I mean, yeah, if you put put one... You know, to use a practical costume for one, you know, Chewie is a practical costume. It looks great. Yeah, but yeah. when you've got, you know, hundreds of those it might start to get a little ridiculous. So that that's one that's one case where where CGI is maybe the better alternative. And I think that the the Kashyyyk parts in Revenge of the Sith are better for it because you've got those huge action set pieces that you could not have had in Return of the Jedi. I I do completely agree. And watching the movie, I totally get I understand why that why they chose not to use Wookiees in Return. I absolutely However, talking to, and you said the word, so I want to use that same word, believable. I find it impossible to believe that an army of Ewoks <laughs> could successfully mount an attack on Imperial troops. Completely in that universe, I find it completely unbelievable. Um, 
They're literally throwing rocks at ATSTs. <laughs> <laughs> although, although to counter your point, there, there, there are some points where, yeah, I agree. You know, just dropping rocks on their helmets, and <laughs> the stormtroopers are just sort of like stumbling around. Like that's pretty funny. To how see. did they know rocks? But, ah. but, but think about how clever it is when you know they have those different traps set up, and that one ATST comes to walk through it, and they they chop the two uh, ropes or whatever, and those huge yes. logs. Come, like come in and crush things. But are we that's, supposed to that, believe that that trap has been brilliant. set for weeks or months, or that they like hurriedly put that together, knowing that this was coming? Or what are we supposed to believe? And because it is cool looking, but I was watching that last night and I was like, wait a minute, did they just? Because those look like freshly cut down trees. Like, did they do this in like the last twenty minutes? Is this like you know? And maybe that's an Ewok special skill. Maybe they're like <laughs> phenomenal at like. <laughs> Cutting, cutting wood. Ewoks are like beavers. You know, they they're, just have really big teeth they, hiding these, under all that fur. That they also use. there's these, a, te- these teddy bear people with <laughs> phenomenal lumberjacks. You, you would believe. That's why the empire was there. They were there to harvest that <laughs> their productivity. <laughs> um, I and uh, another thing about it, and I don't want to linger on the Ewoks, um, but another thing about it that's weird to me is like the hierarchy of intelligent beings in this universe. Because, like, the Ewoks are repeatedly talked to, even by the Rebellion, like they're idiots. Like, they're this... And I get it, they're a primitive species. But it's like, there's kind of a weird division between intelligent beings in this universe and, like... Well, and and something that we talked about the other day, and we can segue right into, is, like, salacious crumb. Like, how are we supposed to know in this universe what is a highly intelligent, high-functioning being and what isn't? And I think the Ewoks, for me, because Wookiees, we know, are highly intelligent, you know, high-functioning, you know, can do whatever, can do anything anybody can. But Ewoks don't seem to have the ability, and, like, it's just, it's weird to me. So let's take that thread, then, to go back to Jabba's Palace and the beginning of the movie. Because after watching it again myself, I'm still in the camp that, yes, the beginning on Tatooine is a bit long and I don't know excessive in some ways um, very inefficient storytelling because obviously the whole point of Tatooine is to do two things one to rescue Han Solo and two to show that Luke has come into his own as a Jedi yes he's not technically a Jedi Knight yet but he is you know much further down his path than he was when we last saw him and I feel like we spend so much time between C-3PO and R2 going there first, then Leia mm-hmm. showing up, then Han getting let out, then Chewie, like, we just, just all, like, it takes almost, like, 15, 20 minutes just for Luke to show up, and then even when Luke shows up, it's, okay, he has to fight the Rancor, and then we finally get out to the Dune Sea and the execution, which I thought was funny, uh, Jabba says something about how, like, you will be executed immediately. But now we're going to take this long trip out into the Dune Sea to actually kill you. It's like, wait, hold on. If you want to execute them immediately, why don't you just go ahead and shoot them right there and be done with it? Yeah. So, yeah, so, like, the whole thing, I timed it. I mean, it takes about 30 minutes just to do all of that where, I don't know, I guess as a, as a storyteller, filmmaker, what have you, I, it just feels highly inefficient that we should have been able to get to that a lot sooner, that, you know, cut out the Rancor battle, uh, a few other things just kind of cut to the chase a little bit more. Uh, um, Java no I mean, one. 
I mean, yes, and there's some great little bits in there. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, C-3PO and R2 going down into like that droid area, meeting that grungy. Oh like, no! Oh uh, no! Like, yeah, there, there's some great bits, but yeah, at the same yeah. time, it's like, what's the point ultimately? Well, the point of the Rancor is to sell toys. We've we've talked about <laughs> Luke, about George Lucas's uh, his focus shifting a bit to you know he's he was very concerned with you know what can we make into an action figure and you know I, sh- I know i showed you nate the other day that black series rancor that came out like 10 years ago was pretty cool looking so i'm kind of I, i'm kind of okay with him doing that in that situation because it did make for some pretty cool stuff as far as you know th- it taking forever for them all to get there i do agree it does it it it's lengthy you know, like I like I said, you know, I'm not I'm not going to contradict myself. To me, it seems like it goes by fairly quickly, but maybe you know I'm I'm looking at it through a different lens because I like that movie as a whole so much. So maybe to me, it just feels better than it does. You're a little to you more guys. forgiving of it than some of us. Yeah, maybe. Um, but that said, just thinking, you know, apart from the the filmmaking storytelling aspect of it, when you're thinking about it. Practically, I guess, um, from a strategic standpoint on their part, it makes more sense for them to go in in waves. Whereas if the droids, Leia and Luke, all show up at the same moment, then there's a lot more room for error and a lot more room for them all to be captured at the same time. Whereas if they do it one by one, I don't know, I feel like there's some some sort of strategic practicality there from a, uh, a I was soldier standpoint. watching it last night, and to your point, I actually, I think it takes too long, but I was watching it going like, this is a really good plan. This is like, it's basically a Trojan horse plan. Like, exactly. you're, you're sneaking, like Luke is sneaking his troops into Jabba's palace, and they're going to attack from the inside. Like, it's, a, it's actually really smart, and strategically it makes a lot of sense. Um, what I think happened is I think it goes back to an Empire Strikes Back problem and that Han either should have died or not been frozen and taken to Jabba's palace because what happened is they wrote themselves into a corner that like none of us would be satisfied if that movie starts out with Han Solo free and them saying, "Boy, sure glad you came and got me, kid. Thanks. You know, now I now I owe you one or something like that. Like none of us would have been happy with that. So it was like they had to show him getting out. But and the plan is really smart, and the plan really works, and it's believable. So I don't know that it's a problem that can be solved. We, well, that was the one question that I had: is what exactly was Luke's plan? Because um, he first walks in there, and is what plan A to just negotiate with Jabba? And get everybody out there without, you know, resorting to violence. And then plan B is, okay, yeah, let's resort to violence. Which is not exactly a very Jedi way of doing things. Uh, First of all, you know, the Emperor talks a lot about, you know, use your aggression. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yoda warns him, don't give in to aggression. And yet it seems like his plan B, C, whatever it is, is, yeah, I'm just going to attack people. Not out of self-defense, but just out of aggression. Well, let me... To free my friend. Let me say, I think... That's very much in the Obi-Wan style of doing things because Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars is, you know, famously the great negotiator. And then you have him being famous for being able to solve things diplomatically. But when he can't, he uh, he will fight you and he will win. 
So I think like that's Obi Wan. I th- maybe that's Obi Wan's influence on Luke's philosophy. I think also it's important to remember that like Luke grew up not far from Jabba's palace. So like growing up on Tatooine, he is very familiar with Jabba the Hutt, and he knows that Jabba is a bad guy. Very true. Who like straight up. He knows Jabba's not going to negotiate. I think that's what we're supposed to take away. Like, Luke knows. He planted his lightsaber on R2-D2. Like, he knows exactly what's going to happen. He's familiar with Jabba. And, like, it's, you know, think of your hometown. I think of the big, the big bad guys in your hometown. Like, that's what Luke's dealing with here. Um, he's like, he's he knows this guy. He knows his name. He knows his reputation. And so, like, he's, he, he's there to fight, basically. I, I think there's no question... We see how, like, quickly he gives up on diplomacy. I think, like, he went into it, like, it's kind of like 3PO knocking on the door. Knock, knock, knock. Oh, well, they're not going to negotiate. I think that's kind of what, I think that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and sort of of piggybacking off of that a little bit, I think one cool thing that Return of the Jedi does in going back to Tatooine is, you know, like you said, Luke grew up not far from Jabba's palace. Like, this is where he's from. And I think the point of going back to Tatooine is really to show... You know, yes, show you know Luke's maturity as a Jedi, but also just to show how far he's come in life, and that he is not—he's no longer a victim of his circumstance. He's not stuck on his aunt and uncle's moisture farm anymore. He has gone gone on to do so many better things, and he's grown so much as a person. And I think the whole Tatooine bit shows that a lot. And you know, even you get to the 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 uh, when they're going out on the sail barge and. Um, you know, Luke says to Han, I was born here, you know, and Han says, well, you're going to die here, you know, and Luke's like, just follow my lead or, you know, something something like that. Um, so, you know, he, he has a, a different confidence than he did the last time we saw him on Tatooine. And aesthetically, last time we saw him on Tatooine, he's dressed all in white. This time we see him on Tatooine, he's dressed all in black. Like, that, I don't think that was a coincidence. I, and let me just, one more thing before we move on from Tatooine. Going back and watching it, I really love the sort of like Egyptian, like there's a very Egyptian sort of like Palestine type feel to Jabba's palace. And like you have the stone uh, and like the masonry and, you know, the sandy floors and like even even some of the decorations, you know, you got the wind chime, the chimes hanging up and all that. So I'm just going to say going back now, I hated it at the time. But going back now, I really appreciate um, some of what they were doing there with, with the desert and, and things like that. Well, it's funny you mention that because I know I mentioned this to you all already. But one thing that stuck out to me this time as far as the decorations go is there's this quick shot on uh, Jabba's sail barge where you actually have like a stone carved picture of Jabba with a harem of women. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I never, I never noticed it before, but like it almost makes sense because you know, Jabba is a gangster, like yeah. And so yeah, as a gangster, he loves the ladies, <laughs> and he even has a picture of himself with them. But it totally fits into that aesthetic that you're talking about. Um, but it's just, it's just kind of funny because it's, <laughs> it's one of those hit or miss things. I literally had to pause it and go back to make sure I saw it correctly. That's awesome. Um, so, so be on the lookout for that next time you view it. Um, but the other thing I wanted to point out, too, is, you know, talking about how going back to Tatooine 
allows us to revisit a new hope, and because you know it all rhymes like George Lucas likes. Shit, but, shit rhymes. Uh, another way in which it rhymes, I noticed too, is in the very beginning after the opening scroll. You know, you pan down and you have the star destroyer come in. Uh huh. The exact same shot as you had in A New Hope, where it's this giant thing that's overshadowing the top of the frame before then the shuttle comes out. So clearly, from right off the bat, they are immediately trying to call back to A New Hope and remind you that this is where we came from before we, you know, arrive at the ultimate conclusion. So I noticed for the first time a couple of things in this one also that are direct callbacks to a new hope and it's luke's plan involves putting chewbacca in handcuffs and like mm-hmm. u- using him uh, as a way to get into the enemy to place that they were trying to go just like on the death star and luke and leia uh swinging on a rope across uh you know across something like that's a direct a direct wink back at a new hope uh and i've never noticed i've seen the movies a thousand times and I've never noticed those two things. So it's funny you say that because you're right. There, that opening. There's a lot that's happening that the movie makers are are wanting us to to draw parallels to um, a new hope. For sure. Now, before we get away from Jabba's palace, uh, I do have to point out and remind our viewers, listeners, uh, whoever you may be, that I'm a purist when it comes to Star Wars. Although this last time I was watching the special edition, which means that I got to witness that wonderful song in Jabba's Palace, you know, jack full of CGI and extra footage that is completely unnecessary. <laughs> um, and just that that song, uh, to Alex. The, the song is called Jedi's Rock, by the way. <sighs> Do you think that's what they called it in the palace? Do you think... They're like, and so here's a new song that I was working on last week as he's like tuning up his thing, like, it's called, uh, you know, uh, most of you never met a Jedi. I've never, I was actually in a bar a few years ago and this old guy cut off this guy's hand with a lightsaber and uh, that's when I wrote this song. So I hope you guys enjoy. (laughs) But I guess, I guess I pointed out to show that it's another one of those examples where it seems like. Now, granted, it was a special edition, so George Lucas was just revisiting the series, but just cramming stuff in there just for the sake of it. I don't know if it was for toys or yeah. or, or just, just because he could. And I would say overall part of what kind of brings down this movie for me, or at least what sticks out in contrast, whether it be the Ewoks or things like this, is it almost has a little bit more of a childish tone to it compared to you know something like... Obviously, an empire is direct contrast to it, but it but it's very offsetting later on, especially when you have this very dire situation going on where you know Luke is trapped in the throne room, you know, fighting for his soul, while his friends are going to get killed off. The rebellion is going to get killed off. Just this dire situation, and and, and it- then we all of a sudden come back to. Oh, Ewoks playing around. Yeah, Chewie and the Ewoks swinging onto a ATST and all those shenanigans, and it's just like an Ewok oh, hitting yeah. himself in the head with a rock. Yeah, just 
And and overall, like I'm fine with the concept of oh yeah, this big bad empire gets taken down with aid of a primitive species. Like I get that concept, but they just take it too far at times to where it, it, it contradicts that you know dire situation that has been developed. Do you just have some like traumatic experience from your childhood involving teddy bears, <laughs> and that's why you're you're so prejudiced? No, I'll have you know that I have pictures proving that as soon as I was born, I was given a teddy bear I'll have that you know. I loved and everything. So, <laughs> no, sir. Uh, I love the teddy bears just as much as anyone. <laughs> that is a sound bite if I've ever heard one. I love the teddy bears. Um, Return of the Jedi. Ah, oh, man. Like, what great potential... But I agree, like, there are so many things that just, why? Just why? And then, how useless is Boba Fett? The dude is completely useless. For, like, one of the most menacing and feared bounty hunters in the galaxy, he's completely useless in the fight. What bothers me the most, and granted, this is a, this is a recent annoyance about the movie, um... I'm going to say recent as of within the past year. Um, Boba Fett, you could say he got phasmid. He was this character that we see yeah. so little of previously, and he looks so cool, and then we want more, and it's like, oh, well, we don't have space, so we just kill him off. Yeah. Um, like a, like like happened to a, a particular chrome stormtrooper that we were all very fond of coming out of The Force Awakens. But, yeah, yeah I will agree. He's... He comes across as very, very useless after, after, especially after what you see of him in Empire. You know, you only get a handful of lines. It's very little, but he has this menacing voice, and mm-hmm. he just sort of stands there and looks sinister and whatever. And even in Jabba's palace, the few shots of him, like he's just standing there. You know, everyone else is partying and having fun and he's just sort of looking well, around surveying the and scene. what's worse too is in the special edition they even add in that extra scene where oh he's like flirting with the singers and everything yeah, touches their face over he's like hey ladies yeah i gotta go do my job now and then oh yeah it's it is a major letdown but you know what's who who, who else is also useless that entire other skiff that was out there i mean <laughs> it's funny how like they're just joy riding around like they're literally going yeah and everything while this serious moment is happening of this execution yeah uh they're just like they're just driving around constantly and then when the fight actually breaks out they're late getting to the party you know a good minute or two after luke's basically killed everybody else on the other barge then i do really this- love the uh the orc that pushes luke off of the uh, the plank like the dude looks just like an orc from he Lord does. of the Rings. He does. Just the ugliest creature I've ever seen. And I don't know. I like to think that that's a Lord of the Rings Easter egg. Well, speaking of Easter eggs, I uh, after watching it with my wife this time, we have dubbed the Raincore Handler Space Hagrid. Oh, that's yes. good. That's yeah. <laughs> You're a Raincore like Harry. It. Yeah, um, that whole that whole oh, part. Oh, That's that's oh. the strangest dynamic. Like I love. I want to loop back to Boba Fett for just a second because I'm going to say I do love the nod that Boba Fett gives undercover Leia when she wins the negotiating battle, and Boba Fett's like, like, well done. Like, yeah, I, I like, I, I, yeah. I like what you did there, kid. Boba Fett approved. I respect you as a bounty hunter. I thought that was a really nice touch. Um, I think one of the 
best things about Return of the Jedi is the exchange between Luke and Yoda on Dagobah immediately after all that. Like yep. the movie is, the, to me, Return of the Jedi is worth watching for the Luke and Yoda scene and the Luke and Vader fight at the end. That's why I watched that movie. And honestly, I think for me, that's part of why Tatooine seems to drag on too long for me because after having the big reveal in Empire Strikes Back that Vader is Luke's father, you know, at that time, it's kind of one of those questions where like, is he or isn't he? Yeah, that's a good point. You don't actually have any confirmation in that movie. So like, this is when we actually get that confirmation that yes, he is in fact Vader. And, and so I want to get to that answer rather than, you know, playing around on Tatooine so much. Man, I love, I love the Yoda Luke that last conversation. Um, I find it a little weird that Luke calls him only by first name at one point. I guess he doesn't have a last name, but other than that, like it's just such a it's just such a, a great moment in the film and I love like is Yoda or is Vader my father? Like because we forget because we're living now, you know, we we forget that yeah, if you're Luke, you probably have been wondering like am I sure is he just messing with me? Yeah, was that just a trick to get Luke to join him on the dark side? Yeah. Or was he telling the truth? Your father is. And I would say that that's probably that's definitely one of those one of those scenes where it really becomes apparent how expressive Mark Hamill is. There's just so many little emotions that, you know, go across his face during that scene between concern and the acceptance of the truth and and even afterwards with the conversation with Obi-Wan as well. Yeah, I, I, I love the, the the Yoda and Luke scene there as well. And he's, you know, we, he, Yoda's this wise Gandalf Dumbledore sort of character that, you know, demands the utmost respect. And the fact that he's still humble enough to make jokes, yeah. I think, is, is brilliant. And, you know, it makes him seem more... Relatable. Humanizes, yeah. There, that's a, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm looking for. Yeah, just humanizes him a bit more. That he's not, you know, this this god or anything like that. He's not the emperor. Yes. There you go. I think that's a a, ju- a cool juxtaposition. Well, like he's not the emperor. He has so much power, but he's not caught up on and it. And it's also the fact that it shows how strong Yoda is because look at what he's been through. I mean, he was basically the leader of the the whole uh jedi order and then you know he survives through their uh eradication and then has lived alone in exile on this you know swampy planet for by this point like 25 years or so and you know he's he still i think very much blames himself sort of for a lot of the mistakes of the jedi and you know he's he's been through a lot but he still has the he hasn't let it defeat him and yeah i so yeah i think obviously like i like that line for the comedic value but it's also it's also the fact of how, what how much it says about yoda now i think you're i think that's a great point and it's something that i've never actually actively thought about but now that you say it i, I think that is that is subconsciously why because I have never watched these movies and felt like Yoda was to blame for everything that happened. Although, really, he kind of is in many ways. Like, like everything that happens in the prequels, a lot of that falls squarely on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, 
you're right. He he has a a humble attitude about it, and he doesn't let it defeat him. Instead, he, you know, he's like, well, we still have we still have Luke. I still have a shot. I exactly. I can do this one. Th- I can do this one thing, and this might you know reconcile all of the bad. Um, yeah. Although I was I was watching it last night, I kind of got a little cracked up because I was like, as he's dying, you know, he's struggling to get out. By the way, there's another Skywalker, and then he dies. But then it's like, why is he so worried about getting that out before he dies? Because he's just going to come back as a Force ghost. Like he in five like five minutes from now, he'll be able to tell you that as a Force ghost. I don't know why it's so important that he like gets it out right now. It's it's convenient, to be honest, um, as far as plot goes. But it gives Luke more drive because you know jumping yeah, ahead, jumping ahead to that Luke and Vader fight. You know, after Vader says, you know, if you will not turn, perhaps she will, and yeah. you know Luke screams and jumps from under the street. Like there's a whole new intensity to him. But I, I think Yoda just he he understands like he needs to know this now because he because Luke is so he he's struggling a lot with this, and I think Yoda knows that telling Luke this will be that extra push that he needs because you know even if he doesn't want to confront Vader hmm. he he'll he will want to save his sister mm-hmm. he has to protect his sister at the very least exactly but yeah it's also just a, com- a convenient plot device to you know help out later <laughs> in the movie so when Vader you know basically threatens Leia then Luke can be like oh no I don't think so yeah total he totally baits Luke with it I love 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 that whole the way all of that comes together and like what a heart wrenching if you like allow yourself to really dwell on it what a heart wrenching situation where like so you have a twin sister mm-hmm. this line right here obi-wan was wise to hide her from me like whoa i, I think that's one of those moments where you realize that like vader is a bad he's really bad like mm-hmm. I know that we all know that, and we're supposed to know that, and he's a character. But in some ways, he's also a caricature through much of the movies. But, like, that line right there, like, Obi-Wan was wise to hide my own daughter from me. Like, yeah, that, ah, that, man. That's, like, that's dark. That's dark. And, like, a brother fighting his dad to protect his sister. Like, the, the, the drama and the tension in that fight is like you have a brother like literally doing everything he can uh, to protect his his loved ones from his dad who like should be the one trying to protect his kids but like since he's obviously not going to do that uh, and then uh, Obi-Wan's failure now is complete or his Obi-Wan's mm-hmm. failure is complete and also one thing I noticed that he keeps referring to Obi-Wan has taught you well Obi-Wan has taught you well and then I remembered oh yeah it's because they still think Yoda's dead Mm-hmm. Like, we're no none of Vader nor Palpatine know that Yoda is alive and has trained Luke, so they keep thinking they think that he's been under Obi Wan's tutelage um, this whole time because you know Vader keeps saying Obi Wan has done a great job. And anyway, so to sort of uh, add on to your point of uh, you know Vader should be the one protecting his own children and everything. And how dark that is. That sort of plays into what I I think might actually be my favorite scene in the movie. I love the scene on Endor when Luke goes to Vader and they just have that conversation. And yes. and and Luke says, 
uh, you know, I, I know, Father, so you've accepted the truth. And Luke says, I've accepted that you were once Anakin Skywalker. And Vader says, that name no longer has any meaning for me. And then, you know, later on in the conversation, uh, he says, it's too late for me, son. Like, yeah. while Luke sees the good in him, he, he sees, he really sees no v- future for himself. Um, you know, he's he's yep. very much accepted his his oh, that's uh, a great point. position as, you know, he knows that he is just a monster. He is he is a machine. Of, you know, he he doesn't have any humanity left. And so it doesn't matter to him if it's his son or his daughter or what. It's I think it's solely like you have my blood and I'm strong with the force. So that means you will be, too. So you will be a great weapon. He doesn't yeah. view them as people; they are weapons. Yeah, because and Obi Wan says that, right? Um, he says the Emperor knew, as I did, that should Anakin have children, they would be a weapon to him. Uh, and he says him, and I've always thought he was talking about Vader, but I realized this time Obi Wan says if the because the Emperor knew if Vader had children, the children would be a uh, a threat to Palpatine be a threat to Palpatine. Mm-hmm. I always thought that meant a threat to Vader, but doesn't. It's a threat to Palpatine because obviously, I mean, what could draw out a, a man's humanity? What could draw out a man's, um, you know, light side other than like his children? And the fact that Obi-Wan knows that if, oh, the Emperor would have killed them. He would have killed them just like, you know, uh, he would have killed Padme had she not already died because I think they or he would have you know caged them and tortured them until they became dark side followers as well and the fact that like you kind of have that's just a whole interesting situation where like you have Anakin realizing like I have thrown in my lot with this guy who has cost me my wife and cost me my you know basically my life and my arms and legs and my ability to walk around without a mask and a suit on and now he's literally going to cost me my children right before my eyes like how much do i let this guy take from me and i think that's that that's the driving force for vader to ultimately kill palpatine is he has the realization like i've given this man everything and he just continues to take from me and i've had enough what I found interesting, though, about that Vader-Emperor dynamic is a couple times in the movie, the Emperor refers to Vader as my friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Almost as equals. Yeah, it's almost <laughs> it's almost like one of those uh, like awkward situations with your boss where your boss thinks like you're friends, but you're really not because you have so <laughs> many problems with him. It's almost kind of the same thing where uh, that's what it feels like at times where it's like, yes, my friend would do this, this and this. Where secretly inside his helmet, Vader's like rolling his eyes because he does not agree with anything the Emperor is saying. It also strikes me as like it's a toxic relationship where the Emperor like, what are you doing kneeling? You know, you don't kneel before me. Come on, get up. Let's go. But then later on, he talks to him like an idiot. So it's like. It's definitely an abusive, toxic relationship where, like, he wants... he's He makes sure Vader never knows, like, where he stands with him. 
like because you're right one minute you can definitely sense that like come on you're my you're my friend but then as soon as something goes wrong like he's ready to throw vader under the bus and that's a total power move that's a toxic relationship at work where like he keeps him guessing all the time he never lets him get comfortable with their relationship i think well and clearly one of palpatine's greatest assets is his ability to manipulate others So whether it's Vader in those ways or even later on Luke in the throne room. One of the great things, and that's a good point, and and I think one of the things that I've often wondered is like, is Luke wiser than Anakin? Because Luke sees through the lies, he sees through it all. But then I think like Luke would not have been, Luke's reaction would not have been possible without seeing Vader's outcome. Like, Anakin didn't have the benefit of seeing someone that Palpatine took and tortured and like used, but Luke gets to see Vader. And so Palpatine is like threading, you know, he's sowing this big, bright future. This can all be yours. And Luke, all he has to do is look at Vader and go like, no way, dude. Like, why would I want that? And, and Anakin doesn't have the benefit of that. So I think we, you know, I, I've always been very hard on Vader and been like, God, this like Anakin's such a moron. He he falls for this, uh, you know, this scheme that Palpatine has laid for him, um, where Luke obviously sees right through it. But then you have to, like I said, you have to realize that Luke Luke has the benefit of seeing someone who's been through it, um, and I think that's that's an important aspect uh, of of Luke being able to say. Sorry, man, you failed. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I, I noticed, too, here that uh, he ha- the Emperor has that line that says, you, like your father, are now mine. I thought that was an interesting like precursor to then later on Luke says, I'm a Jedi like my father before me. It's hmm. kind of a nice uh, little little precursor and kind of kind of comes back at that point. Using Kind of using um, his own logic against him and using his own... Uh, argument against him and i i don't think we probably give david prouse enough credit for the body the physical acting that he does inside that vader suit um because like we don't get to see vader's face so like there are so many things that we just have to take away from the slightest movement of his head or of his you know his arms his shoulders and um so you know that's a great point and we probably need to make sure that we say that Vader has some very small mannerisms that you go like you know sometimes it's the way he cuts his head like he turns his head really fast and you're like we for- it's almost like I forget that Vader's not making facial expressions mm-hmm. um, it almost allows yeah, you to right. kind of read what expression it is into you know the face of his helmet and I think uh, like one of the biggest moments in this movie is, you know, when the Emperor's electrocuting Luke and you have that shot of him slowly turning his head while it's yeah. happening. I mean, that's such a... It's such a simple shot, and yet there's so much gravity in that moment of him watching his his one and only son, like, on the verge of being destroyed in front of him. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, I guess one, one, one last thing... Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about that that final space battle for a second. One thing that that bothers me about it, um, and I guess I don't know if I'm just nitpicking here, but why is there enough room for the ships to be flying around inside the Death Star? 
Because I mean, it makes for a great cinematic piece and everything. And so, you know, if I switch my brain off, like, it's fine. But but I couldn't help this time being like, huh, like, is, is that a design flaw? Like, what exactly is going on there? I've always but, assumed it's, a const- it's like a construction corridor. Because, like, you have to be able to get in there and navigate within to, like, you know, like, real life ships like cruise ships they have a ton of those like interior corridors that like sometimes you have to get to this one thing and you might only have to work on it once in a hundred years but when you have to get to it like there's there's only one way to get in there to to work on it so like the main reactor core i've assumed that like these this corridor exists so that during the construction process this is how they moved things uh you know to the interior parts of the battle station that battle scene though i i think is one of the best of the whole like eight or nine film series now wherever we stand including the prequels um i just think that that space battle is so good the stakes are so high at that point because you know they come in thinking that this is our opportunity to end everything tables get turned on them i mean they're literally surrounded fighting for their lives at that point and i love that lando's like well we're i tell you what we're not going to do we're not going to like tuck our tails between our legs and leave our people on the forest moon for dead like that's what we're not going to do i just thought that that's such a great because you know it obviously that's the logical thing to do but you forget that if they turn and leave it's all for nothing um so they say, well, let's just let's just kill as many deaths or star destroyers as we can, and if this is it, then by golly, like they're going to know we were here. Yeah, and it, and it also it shows the how dedicated the the rebels are to their cause because not only are they fighting for their lives, but they're fighting for the the their future, the future of mm-hmm. the whole galaxy. You know, this they know that this could very well be their last stand. So even if we're going to get destroyed. You know, we we're taking some of them with us because this was not all for nothing. Yeah, it definitely shows you, you know, how scrappy the uh, Rebel Alliance is because I mean they're literally just doing anything they can at that point to survive and to even yeah just take out those those, those star destroyers. I mean you have, you know, some ships doing just kamikaze runs, not necessarily on purpose, but I mean they're just crashing into them mm-hmm. uh, and taking them out left and right. Intensify forward firepower. It's the definition of a rock in a hard place. Like, on one hand, they've, you know, on one side they've got the Death Star, and then the other side they have an entire fleet of Star Destroyers. It just shows how the magnitude of the Empire and how small the Rebellion is in comparison. Yeah. Why did they build a second Death Star? If we're going to go there, like, wh- why in the world would you do that again? It was the most powerful weapon in the universe. I th- maybe, maybe they just assumed it was luck. I, I, I still wonder that. To, to the, even with Rogue One, you know, explaining how they got the plans and everything, it's like, okay, well then, when you get to return, like, did they just figure out, like, oh, he shot into this exhaust port. Let's just, let's just cork that thing up real quick, and we'll be good to go. Instead, let's leave a giant <laughs> corridor that you could fly a whole ship into. Um, I, I, I will actually, say that the unfinished Death Star looks way cooler than the finished one it it's super cool it's way cool it looks awesome um, i've always kind of read into it that i mean that's that's why the empire had the shield around it is because they recognize that hey this is an incomplete project like there are some gaping yeah. holes in this 
that can be oh, exploited. So, so really let's put this point. shield around it to protect it. Yeah, that's, um, that's why they couldn't attack it straight off the bat anyway. They had to wait for Han and and uh, the the rebel convoy on on the forest moon of Endor to get that shield down before they could even get in get in there. Great point. Which quickly to Alex's point about the Ewoks, though, uh, there is a line by the Emperor saying that he sent a legion of his best troops down to the moon to protect the shield generator. And yet, it's those same best troops that got bested <laughs> by the Ewoks. By so, a droid worshiping Ewoks. Ha ha ha! It's so terrible. It's but three PO's gold, and they are primitive species. They've probably never seen gold before, and shiny means good. Yes. Trita Dogra. This guy's wise, <laughs> loud and short. That's guy's wise. Um, is does <laughs> does Return of the Jedi have one of the best lines ever by an Imperial? You rebel scum! <laughs> I love that guy so Classic. much. And you rebel scum! And I love the guy at the beginning, um, the the Admiral or whatever he is that meets Vader when he lands on the Death Star, and uh, you when when Vader informs him that the Emperor is coming, like the look of terror on his face and it, mm-hmm. it it shows that you know even even amongst the the empire uh, they're all sort of afraid of one another in a way you know there, there's a, mm-hmm. an uneasiness even to the high-ranking imperial officials so but yeah i just i love that guy we will double our efforts like he gets that a would slight ac- he gets a slight accent in that moment for some reason <laughs> and it's awesome <laughs> And the fact yeah. that, like, he's a very real character because he's like, I don't have enough men. What you're asking? Like, he, I can't do this. This is what do you What do you think I'm doing here? This is stupid. Maybe if I had an army of Wookiee slaves, but, <laughs> I mean, I don't have enough guys to do this. Like, that's such a real world problem. Exactly. Uh, like, that every manager ever at any, <laughs> at any job at any level has always made that argument. Yep. I don't have the manpower to do this. Well, let's gotcha. go ahead, um, for the sake of trying to draw close to the end, let's go ahead and touch on favorite favorite scene um, or part or what have you from this movie. And I'll start us off. I mean, I don't know. I feel like this, is, this, this gets uh, mentioned frequently by fans. But, I mean, honestly, just that whole dynamic between... Luke Vader, the Emperor in the throne room, culminating in that final fight uh, between Luke and Vader. Yeah, I, I have to agree with Alex. There's just it is the most uh, dramatic. There's just so much conflict going on in that scene uh, under the surface, and then I mean that final when when Luke does finally snap and the music yeah. going on at that mm-hmm. moment. There, there's so oh. much. There's so much desperation coming from it. I mean, it gives me chills every time. And and what's mm-hmm. interesting too is there's in a lot of ways it's it's very much a role reversal from the fight against Vader and Empire, where you know at right before Luke loses and gets his hand cut off, you know Vader's kind of just hacking away at him, going across that bridge, 
And so it's almost the same thing where Luke is losing and he's just hacking away at Vader before taking off mm-hmm. his hand. Um, uh, I mean, it's just so it's just so well done, and just how much the Emperor is enjoying that moment. <laughs> it's just so entertaining. Um, uh, there's just so many things to love about it, and and I don't know for some reason too, it also sticks out to me every time that when Luke's getting uh, electrocuted by the Emperor, and then the Emperor stops, and you get that ah, like. <laughs> It sticks out every time. It just sounds like he's in so much pain. It's so convincing. Uh, I'll, I'll give that one to Mark Hamill, too. But just, yeah, just all that. And I know, Jake, you mentioned before, and I was looking for it this time, is, um, yeah, every time basically Luke ignites his lightsaber and starts attacking, like, that's a moment in which he's, like, he is giving into the dark side. A little bit, and then yeah. He, and then he realizes it and shuts his lightsaber off again. Uh, and and that is a perfect way to tie into uh, earlier, you know, Alex made the point that throughout this movie, Luke wears the solid black. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever noticed, but in the moment where uh, he's cut Vader's hand off, Vader's laying on the floor, the Empire comes over and basically tells him, you know, you've, you've given in, like you're there. And there's that moment of Luke where he looks at Vader's hand or his, you know, his the nub uh, on his arm and uh, then he looks down in his own hand uh, the robotic one when he turns back to face the emperor his black shirt has opened up and there's a there's a white shirt under that and <laughs> it's, he you know it, that there's some symbolism there that he's he's wearing that under it to un, under to remind himself of of the light and yeah yeah there, there's just it's very literary. You got you got to look into it at a very literary level. But yeah, there's there's such great symbolism there that you know even even though he almost gives in in a few of those moments, beneath I know it all, exactly beneath, what you're talking about. Beneath and, it all, he's he still has such a good heart. I've seen it and I've never thought about it. I just thought it was like you know the wardrobe like you know flew open. Or whatever, and they just kept going. But I've never thought about. It. But you're right. There, it's white under there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he was he was just going so ham on Vader that his clothes started ripping ripping apart. <laughs> right. Yeah. Also, uh, that's a that's a great point, and I, I think it would be remiss. Uh, and I still want to hear your favorite moment. But on that, speaking of Nate, when when the Emperor starts shocking Luke, we forget now because we've seen it so many times. But do you remember the first time you watched that movie? We have to remember, for if you're in the audience in the theater the first time this movie's ever shown, like you don't know exactly what's about to happen. You're like, okay, so Luke's, like, he's not turned to the dark side. He's not going to kill Vader. So what's going to happen now? And then the Emperor starts freaking shooting lightning out of his hands. Like we forget now, but that was the first time we've ever seen that. And like I remember the first time watching that movie, and I was like, well, what's going to happen now? Oh my god, he's shooting lightning out of his hands. Like how like he, the dude's <laughs> that's evil. That's new. He's, that's new. <laughs> like he's and like we also don't know the only th- thing that we know about the emperor at that point is like he's we assume he uses the force. Like I don't we know he does, but the only thing we see him do is un unclasp the handcuffs. So like then we then it's revealed he suddenly reveals himself to be an extremely powerful force user at that moment 
and um it adds it suddenly adds like darth vader is dangerous and we know he's dangerous but like i think for me i never thought of the emperor as dangerous outside of like his words like yeah he's conniving yeah he commands a fleet yeah he commands the death star he's politically connected but like he's personally extremely dangerous um and i think that's really interesting that we feel like the danger has passed now that vader is defeated only to realize that actually it's there's much more danger in this other figure in the room that now like now we see that uh yeah you know uh, it's actually way worse than we think it is yeah um i mean i've I've already stated mine i really love that scene of of luke and vader uh you know talking in that corridor before the fight just the intensity that that mark hamill brings to that scene and again just briefly going back to um you know his his intensity throughout that entire that entire bit you know he as as we were saying during that fight there are many times that he sort of loses it and toes the line and uh i think we really see that for the first time actually at the very beginning of the movie when he first shows up because the very first time you see luke in jabba's palace he force chokes those those <laughs> pig guard people and yeah. that's not a jedi thing that is that that power is generally speaking exclusively to the Sith. The Sith, That's so a good point. he sort of toes the line the entire movie, and so again that <clears throat> again his his wardrobe there uh, is sort of representative of that. Like you know, as he's matured, he he has got this newfound intensity, and you know there are times when he very much toes the line between light and dark, but but at the end of the day he's he's very much good-hearted and you know will always go to the light oh man in a movie of great moments an overall movie i don't love but a movie in which there are several moments i do love uh this is a hard question i mean you know the throne room has to be has to be up there but since it's already been stated uh for the sake of not being the same, I will say the unmasking of Vader on the ramp to the shuttle always causes me to have an emotional reaction. Like, always, always, always. Like, mm-hmm. let me look on you with my own eyes. And you're just like, oh! like... I have spent three movies hating this guy, and now I'm suddenly heartbroken for him. Like, he's never seen his children with his own eyes. And and then I would say, I also love Luke burning Vader on the pyre alone. Like, he doesn't invite anyone else. And and part of that, probably to your point, you're right, Jake, that we've, uh, in that moment, it's easy to sympathize. But, like, this dude has been really bad. And, like, he has killed a lot of people. And, like, how do you think... Like, how is a Han Solo or a Lando going to react if Luke shows up with Vader's body? Like, Vader tortured Han. He he took everything from Lando. Everything. Like, despite 
what Luke says, like, they're not going to be like, <laughs> oh, uh, okay. They're going to be like, you know, I, I don't care. Get that dude away from me. Exactly. So the fact that, like, he goes off by himself, builds the funeral pyre, and burns him, which is, again, I think there's there's something symbolic there, and I, I'm not really quite sure what it is, but, like, it's... I think of uh, I think of not to mention Lord of the Rings twice in one episode, but I think of uh, Denethor uh, in Return of the King, and he says, you know, the heathen kings of old were burned, um, and that's always stuck with me. And I see that as like Vader does not get the send off that a Yoda or a Ben Kenobi get. Like he doesn't get the disappearing and being absorbed into the Force. That these powerful Jedi get, he has to be burned. Yeah, um, and, and and to to answer the question that you didn't ask, the symbolism there is that Luke in Luke's mind, Vader did redeem himself a bit in that those last few moments, and he did become Anakin again. So Luke is giving him a proper Jedi funeral. You know, just going back to episode, oh, okay. you know, if you when you think about Episode One, you know, there's the scene of them, of them burning Qui Gon. Um, you know, that's the traditional Jedi way to dispose of their dead so you know that that is luke acknowledging the fact of you know yes he was he was a monster and whatever but in his final moments he there there was still some anakin left so you know luke believed that he deserved uh, a proper a proper jedi send-off and you could also say that it's kind of a purification ceremony in a way because you notice that Luke put the helmet back on Anakin's body before burning him. He didn't keep it off or anything like that. Um, he's back in his full Darth Vader garb, and yet he, that's almost being set on fire and burned away to symbolize that, you know, that persona is gone and that Anakin was redeemed. Yep, That's a good point. And also maybe, like, I'm going to burn this so no one can have it to put in a museum or no one can have... To like wear and pretend to be Vader. Maybe you know. There's also probably that. Like you don't want imposters, uh, and so maybe you know that's probably also a, which obviously you know you don't want to get into Force Awakens, but um, obviously that kind of does happen. But yeah, and and I, th- and I think Luke was trying to sort of be preemptive in that moment. He was trying not so much imposters, but he was trying to at least do what he could to sort of destroy the memories of of what vader did so that you know maybe there would be lesser chance of vader inspiring anyone else to do the same things how cool is lando and his cape like he looks so (laughs) he is so out of place in that man in that strategic meeting like all these people in like military garb or whatever, Lando is like in an upscale outfit with a flowing cape. It's just yep. like, God, I love that character. So you can take much. the man out of Cloud City, but you can't take the Cloud City out of the man. <laughs> exactly. Where did he even get this? Where did he get this? They're floating in space. Like, where did he get this awesome outfit? And with oh, Lando- you always make time for swag, my friend. And I think Lando is a great note to end it on. Just the 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 classiest dude in all of Star Wars. All right, so yep, there it is. That is Return of the Jedi. Apologize if this turns out to be a longer episode, but 
totally worth it. I think Return of the Jedi warrants it. This is uh, it's either my favorite or it and A New Hope are perfectly tied up and Empire is just barely a step under them. Like if someone put a gun to my head and made me choose between any of these three movies, I legitimately don't know that I could do it. But <laughs> but I do I, could, I do have a, a, a very strong love for Return of the Jedi in particular. That's really funny. Really funny and uh it's a good movie. It's a good. Don't get me wrong. It's, it it is a good movie. Um. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you all next time. <sighs> I love the teddy bears just as much as anyone else. Oh. oh.